Creative Babble. Hey guys, today's episode deals with some really serious stuff. So if you're listening with little ones in the room, you might want to skip this one or listen to it some other time. Okay, let's start the show. It was February 2nd, 2003, at approximately 8 p.m. The Fry's were sitting under the heat lamps at the McDonald's in Hinesville, Georgia. It was after the dinner rush, so things were just starting to die down. A call comes into the restaurant. Tracy, the shift manager, wipes down her oily hands on the side of her uniform and picks up the phone. The man, on the other end of the line, says that his name is Gary Stanberry, the director of operations for GWD. GWD is the franchise owner of the McDonald's in Hinesville, Georgia. Gary, the man on the phone, tells Tracy that a customer just called and reported money missing from her purse. The customer says that she accidentally left her purse at the restaurant earlier that day, and when she came back, the money was gone. The caller then tells Tracy, who's working there tonight? Tracy gives him every name of every employee. He then asks her to describe the women. And so she did. One by one, she gives the caller a description of each female employee. Gary, the caller, tells Tracy that he was in communication with the police. And he tells her that one of the employees who he had just described was involved in some really serious stuff. He says her name is Vanessa. The caller then explains that Vanessa might have some drugs on her, but not to worry because the police were on their way. In fact, there should be an undercover cop in the restaurant right now. He asked Tracy to walk into the lobby and check to see if the undercover cop had arrived. She says no one was there. The caller then tells her not to worry that the cops will be there soon. Meanwhile, the caller tells Tracy that she needs to gain control of this situation. He gave Tracy two choices. She can either perform the search for the drugs herself or police can do it for her when they arrive. Gary suggested Tracy search her before the cops get there. Tracy calls Vanessa over and tells her to go into the ladies' room. Tracy explains to Vanessa that she's on the phone with the franchise owner and the police and that she is in serious trouble. The police suspect that she's carrying drugs. Tracy tells Vanessa, either you let me search you now or you let the police do it. Vanessa walks into the stall and begins to remove her shirt, then her pants. She hands her clothes to Tracy over the stall. The caller then instructs Tracy to take her clothes and put it in a garbage bag. Vanessa is naked and asks for her clothes back, but Tracy tells her that she can't give it back to her until the police arrive because her clothes are now evidence. Vanessa stays in the stall naked and crying. 
The caller then asked Tracy to tell him the name of the oldest employee who worked at the restaurant. She says his name was Sam. Sam is a 55-year-old maintenance man, but he's not even here right now. The caller demands her to get Sam to the restaurant right away. It takes about 10 minutes for Sam to get to the restaurant, and when Sam arrives, the caller requests to speak with him. Gary the caller explains the situation with Vanessa and the drugs. He instructs Sam to walk into the women's restroom where Vanessa was standing there naked and then he asked Tracy, the manager, to leave. The caller then tells Sam that the police wanted to speak with him. So the caller hands the phone to someone else, another man, who says he's with the police. Sam offers Vanessa his coat, but the caller on the phone says not to do that. The caller then asks Sam to perform a physical search for the drugs. And he says that if she doesn't comply, she will be arrested. Finally, the caller instructs Sam to perform a body cavity search on Vanessa. The police never came. And after a while, Sam and Vanessa realized that something was really, really wrong with this situation. They ended up calling the real police and realized that this was all a hoax. Today we're going to talk about prank calls that take it way too far. In fact, these calls are plain, sadistic, and cruel. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. You know, there's a lot of buzz about CBD nowadays. It's been proven to alleviate pain and inflammation, as well as anxiety and depression. But did you know that not all CBD is created equal? I discovered Hemp Fusion. Hemp Fusion is CBD plus omegas and tryptines to help you feel better. I just got my shipment of Hemp Fusion and I'm loving it so far, so... Get yours today. Go to hempfusion.com, promo code PRETEND, to get 20% off your first order. I bet you're listening to the story of Vanessa, Tracy, and Sam and are shaking your head in disbelief. How in the world did they fall for that? Police wouldn't make you do that. Plus, Sam was able to drive from his house and get to the McDonald's before the police, and he still had time to violate her. It's a small town. If this were true, shouldn't the police have arrived within a few minutes? Also, isn't there a policy for this? At no point did anyone say, I have no right to do this. But I bet you're telling yourself, this would never happen to me. I would never fall for this scam. And I bet you're wrong. In fact, I'll prove it. This same exact thing could happen to any one of us. But we'll get to that in a minute. It all started out with just one incident, but then these calls kept happening again and again. 
The Courier-Journal, a newspaper out of Louisville, Kentucky, reports that between 1992 to 2004, fast food restaurants and grocery stores across the country kept getting similar calls to the one Tracy received that night at the McDonald's restaurant in Georgia. Here are just a few incidents worth mentioning. In 1999, a North Dakota Burger King manager slapped a 17-year-old employee on the butt because he believed that he was talking to police. That manager spent 30 days in jail. In 2000, a prank caller instructed a McDonald's employee to undress in front of a customer who police suspected was a sex offender. Now why would police ask her to undress in front of a customer? Well, because the cops wanted to use her as bait. The plan was simple. Once the employees got naked, the sex predator couldn't resist the temptation to molest her right then and there. The phony police officer on the phone promised that as soon as the predator made his move, the undercover officers would rush in and arrest him. And as ridiculous as this plan sounds, the employee complied with every demand. Two years later, an 18-year-old girl in Iowa was coerced to jog naked around a McDonald's restaurant and pose in compromising positions. Then in 2003, also in Iowa, an assistant manager at an Applebee's received a collect call, I repeat, a collect call from a caller playing a role of an Applebee's regional manager. The assistant manager went on to perform a 90-minute strip search on an employee. Why would your regional manager call you collect and ask you to strip search an employee? That same year, a person pretending to be an investigator called a Taco Bell in Juneau, Alaska and somehow convinced the manager to strip search a 14-year-old customer. That employee proceeded to obey every demand. The poor employee stood there while the manager performed vulgar acts at the caller's command. Let's see, it's now 2004, and in the timeline, the Courier-Journal out of Louisville, Kentucky reports that almost 70 of these prank calls have been made to fast food chains around the country. That's 7-0, 70 of these calls. But in 2004, that's where one strip search in particular grabbed everyone's attention. And that's because it was all caught on camera. Just outside Louisville, Kentucky, in the small town of Mount Washington, the prank caller strikes again. His new victim's name is Louise. We won't use her last name because she's been humiliated enough. Louise was a high school senior working at a McDonald's, earning just $6.35 an hour. A man, who goes by the name of Officer Scott, calls the store on April 9th, 2004. He asks to speak with the manager in charge. He tells the assistant manager, Donna Jean Summers, that an employee has been accused of stealing a purse. Hmm. The caller says that the suspect was a female employee. He states her height, says that she weighs about 90 pounds, and even describes the tie she is wearing. And just like that, Louise became a suspect. The assistant manager, Donna Summers, takes Louise to the back of the office and tells her to strip naked. Exactly like the caller asked. And this is all being recorded on surveillance tape inside the back office. I'm watching it right now, but I can't hear what the caller is saying because there's no audio. 
But make no mistake, watching the video, it's perfectly clear what the commands are. The horrific acts that are about to take place will last for more than two and a half hours. Here's Louise talking to ABC News about her horrifying experience. I was naked. I was scared. I mean, any normal person in the situation, they wouldn't have ran out. It was a Friday night, so the restaurant was super busy. The assistant manager, Donna Summers, needs to keep the store running and doesn't have time to talk to the caller. So instead, she leaves Louise naked in the back office, barely covered with a little black apron. Donna Summers hands over the phone to another employee named Jason. Jason refuses to do anything the caller is asking him to do. Frustrated, Donna walks back in and picks up the phone. I couldn't reach Donna Summers. However, her attorney was kind enough to talk with me. My name is Wendy Wagner. I'm an attorney that practices in Louisville, Kentucky. I represented a woman named Donna Summer. She had been a manager at the McDonald's where the that incident with the young lady that was taken into the office, where all that took place. I asked Wendy the same thing you're probably asking yourself right now. What the hell was Donna Summers thinking? And the, the restaurant was really busy, so she's trying to run the restaurant. She's running in and out, running around, and she was just basically too trusting uh, somebody on the phone that said they were a police officer. This guy was really, really good at convincing people that he was a law enforcement professional and that they really needed to do what he was telling them to do. That fella had done his research and he knew the names of managers and, and just and new descriptions of people. So it wasn't like he just picked up the phone and called. It, it, this was a, as, as it goes, this was premeditated, right? It was planned yeah. and well thought out. When Ms. Summers first approached you about this, what was your reaction? Well, I think my reaction was probably the same as most folks, which was how in the world could you have fallen for this kind of a scam, especially when this person isn't even face-to-face, -face, it's over the telephone. But, you know, this, this story is is very complex and when you when you know all the facts which 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 takes a long time to actually become familiar with all the facts you, you come to understand how people can fall for things like that but you know your initial reaction is you know what in the world were you thinking how could you fall for that what what she did was not very smart. She, you know, clearly wasn't putting a lot of thought into the actions that she was taking. But I know from my contact and experience with her in this case, she didn't do anything intentional or malicious. She just, you know, she just got sucked in. So let's get back to the manager's office. Louise is still naked, barely covered by this little tiny black apron. 
Donna Summers is super frustrated. She can't be in two places at once. Customers are pouring into the restaurant, but she has this little situation in the back office. Somebody needs to watch Louise and talk to this officer while we wait for police. The caller has an idea. He asks Donna if she has a husband. She says, no, I have a fiancé. He says, why don't you have your fiancé come to the restaurant and watch over Louise while police get here? Here's Donna Summer speaking to prominent social psychologist Philip Zimbardo about this incident. He says, well, why don't you have him come up and sit there? I mean, you can trust him. So, um, call Wes. Wes is Donna's pet name for her fiancé, Walter Nix. Donna asked Walter to drive over to the McDonald's to watch Louise. You can see him in the footage walking into the office, taking over the call. During all this time, I'm working. I'm running the floor, I'm getting change. And then when I would walk into the office to get the change or whatever I had to get, Wes would be sitting where he was when I left, and she was sitting where she was, and no one said anything. I have questions, so let's pause the tape. She has this caller, and he sounds very convincing, uh, but she also, like you said, has a very busy, busy restaurant. She has to keep the restaurant going, um, but the big turning point was when when uh, the caller asked her to bring in her fiancé, Walter Nix, and I feel like that was that was a big leap for somebody who was was not there to understand how how that could make sense in her mind. Like, how did Donna rationalize that to you? Donna had been telling the caller, "Look, this is becoming a difficult situation for me to handle because the restaurant is busy," and she was complaining, "What is taking so long?" Why aren't the officers here, et cetera? And the, the fellow on the phone would give her the excuses that I that I mentioned. And he finally said to her, is, is there someone who doesn't, that you don't need at the restaurant, that doesn't work at the restaurant, that you trust that could come up and help you with this situation, is what the caller suggested to her. And and I think he even suggested, do you have a husband, a boyfriend? And that's when he suggested to her that she bring her fiance up to the McDonald's. And, you know, the way you just explained it, there's some logic, right, to that. Your restaurant's busy. You can't afford to to lose your staff on this, but this is very important. Who can come in that you trust? You know, a fiance, a, bro, a boyfriend. I mean, like there is this little logic train that he's following, which is crazy, right? It's a it's a it, it's madness. But when when you're in the thick of it, it makes sense, right? Now it's been forty minutes since they've been talking to this fake cop. It's a small town. Don't you think police would have gotten there by now? Louise is visibly crying, and at one point in the video, Donna stops to comfort her. She knew Louise was upset, so why didn't she just stop this? What happens next is pretty disturbing. Louise is crying. She wants to leave, but she can't. She doesn't even have a car or her purse. Here's Louise talking to ABC News again. I wanted to so bad, I wanted to run. 
To run out of the restaurant would have been humiliating. At the time, I guess, Louise figured that being here in this room, getting tortured, was her best option. Eventually, Donna leaves Louise alone with her fiancé, Walter Nix. That's when this bad situation gets worse. The caller instructs Walter to have Louise remove her apron and bend over. Next, he makes her stand on a chair, and as if this weren't ridiculous enough, the caller then asks Walter Nix to make Louise do jumping jacks naked in the office. Now, why would a cop need an employee to do jumping jacks in the nude? Well, to shake loose anything she might be hiding, sick. The demands get even more twisted. When Louise doesn't address Walter Nix as sir, the caller tells Nix to hit her on the butt over and over again. You can see it in the video. There are visible marks on her body. Louise would beg him to stop, but Walter Nix did exactly what he was told. Then, all of a sudden, Donna, the assistant manager, would walk in, and Walter Nix would throw the apron on her and tell her to cover up. Here's Louise again. He throws the apron at me and tells me, like, shh, don't tell Donna. This happened over and over. Every time Donna walks into the room, Walter Nix tosses Louise the apron so she could cover herself up. So now he's watching over her. Donna's running the restaurant and she's coming in and out, in and out. And he's, he's obeying the caller's orders, which is, you know, basically it appears from the video because we can't hear what's happening, but it appears from the video is that when Donna leaves the room, he makes, you know, the victim do all sorts of humiliating things. And then when Donna enters the room, he quickly covers her up. <clears throat> and so Donna always enters a room. She charges in, grabs something, leaves. Like, was she not an, aware that, that that this girl was like suffering and at some points like being bruised by this guy? No, not until it was all over. But one time, Donna storms into the office and catches Walter Nix off guard. Louise was sitting there completely naked. When Donna wasn't looking, Walter Nix quickly tosses the apron back at Louise. There's um, that point in the video where she walks in and, and the victim is not dressed and Wes quickly, you know, throws the apron at her and, and she doesn't seem to notice, I guess, but did she not, did she not have any recollection of what happened at that moment? It, it's my understanding and my recollection that she, she never noticed anything inappropriate happening. She didn't notice that she didn't have the apron covering her or whatever. That the restaurant was very busy that night. That, you know, Donna was just very concerned about doing a good job, keeping her job. You know, she, she needed that job. And, um, you know, she was... When she found out what had happened, I mean, she was devastated. Donna claims that every time she walks in, Louise was covered with the apron. But you could watch the video for yourself and be the judge. It's pretty clear that Louise was naked when she walked into the room. I don't know how she missed that. Again, Donna leaves the room. Then after two and a half hours of torture, 
Walter Nix forces Louise to perform oral sex on him, and she complies. After Walter Nix sexually assaulted Louise, the caller asks to speak to Donna Summers again. Now the caller tells Donna that he wants to speak with another male employee. The fake cop asks the new male employee for Louise to remove her apron. The employee refuses to comply with the caller's demand. However, Donna says that this is the first time she learns that the caller wants Louise to remove her apron. She says she was shocked. That's when she says she finally wised up and hangs up the phone and calls her manager. Then, after a few minutes, the footage shows the office crawling with McDonald's managers. They looked panicked. I bet my listeners, when they hear the story, that they're going to find really difficult to understand is that the police department was just less than a mile away. But this incident took place for more than two hours. Um, how did Donna Summer not know that that this was not real? I mean, like uh, the cops could would have been there by now if this were a real call. You you have to remember that that the fellow that was on the phone that was pretending to be a police officer, he had been pulling off this same scam for, if I remember correctly, you know, over a period of like 10 years, you know, many, many times he'd gotten away with the same scam. So he was very convincing, first of all. She was one of these folks who is just very um, obedient to authority. So what ended up happening to Donna Summers and Walter Nix? Well, as soon as Donna Summers saw that surveillance tape that night, she immediately called off the wedding. Her and Walter Nix were done. Then, the next day, she was fired from McDonald's for violating corporate policies prohibiting strip searches and for letting a non-McDonald's employee into the restaurant office. In court, Donna Summers entered an Alford plea, which is pretty much a guilty plea by a defendant who claims to be innocent. She received a misdemeanor and one-year probation. She wasn't charged with any sex crime. As for Walter Nix, he wasn't so lucky. Nix pleaded guilty to three different charges sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, and unlawful imprisonment. He was sentenced to five years in jail. Here's Donna Summers again. I know how it seems to people, but you weren't on the phone with him. The man has convinced 70 to 100 other places the very same thing. He's very good at what he does. And there's no way that I could uh, take away from what happened to her. A lot of people, you know, Look at you and go, well, you're, you know, you're a nut, you should be strung up. I've had it even said to me. But it's really hard because you weren't there. You weren't there. So that raises the question, could this happen to you? I would hope not. But let's see what science has to say about this. I don't know if you've noticed a pattern on this show. Every episode we explore different kinds of con artists. Whether it's a gambler who rips off the fortune of a millionaire's widow, a snake oil salesman selling a cure for autism, 
or a commanding preacher who has a chokehold on her congregation. The victims all have the same thing in common. They all obey. But why? Why is it so easy for us to obey orders when we all know it's wrong? There's one psychology experiment that gets closer to the answer. It is May 1962. An experiment is being conducted in the Elegant Interaction Laboratory at Yale University. The subjects are 40 males between the ages of 20 and 50 residing in the greater New Haven area. Stanley Milgram, a psychologist at Yale University, conducted an experiment to stress test a human's ability to defend their personal values and conscience and fight against authority. He wanted to understand why the Nazis were so particularly obedient during the Holocaust. What did he learn as a result of his experiment? Well, it turns out that people suck at standing up to authority. In this study, Stanley Milgram put out an ad in the newspaper asking male participants to take part in a Yale University study. Here's audio of the actual footage. Participants entered the lab and were briefed on the experiment. Psychologists have developed several theories to explain how people learn. One theory is that people learn things correctly whenever they get punished for making a mistake. Uh, we want to find out just what effect different people have on each other as teachers and learners, and also what effect uh, punishment will have on learning in this situation. Uh, therefore, I'm going to ask one of you to be the teacher uh, here this afternoon, and the other be the learner. Once the participants arrived at the lab, they were assigned a role. Half of them would be assigned the role of the teacher, and the other half would play the role of the learner. For example, the participants thought they were playing a word game to improve memory. If the learner remembers the word correctly, they move on to the next word. But if he gets the word wrong, the teacher would have to flip a switch and send an electric shock to the learner. With each wrong answer, the teacher would have to increase the voltage in 15 volt increments, all the way to 450 volts. Ouch. Pretty painful. Except this study was completely fake. The real study was to test these guys' tolerance for authority. So let's see how these guys do. Remember, the participants playing the teacher have no idea that the learner is really an actor. The scientists then walk over to the teacher. They're sitting next to the machine. The scientist gives the teacher a sample shock, just so that the teacher knows the type of pain that they will be inflicting. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and estimate the number of holes you receive in the sample shock. Uh, do not open your eyes until I tell you to do so, please. You close them now. The experiment is simple. If the learner gives the correct answer, he receives no shock. If he's wrong, he's toast. Now, if he gives the correct answer, you say correct and go on to the next line. The correct answer is underlined and is also indicated in the right margin. Yeah. If he were to indicate the wrong answer, you would say wrong. Then tell him the number of volts you're going to give him. Then give him the punishment. Then read the correct word pair once and then go on to the next line. The experiment goes as expected. The learner gets some right, and then every now and then he gets some wrong. The shocks start at 15 volts. And now the teacher has to increase the voltage to 65 volts. I'm at 65 volts. Time. Let me out. Continue, please. Go on. There's a lot of them here, you know, you have a heart condition there. You want me to go? Just continue, please. 
sharp. Axe, needle, stick, blade. And now, he needs to increase the voltage to 180 volts. That's good. Wrong. I'm up to 180 volts. Please continue, teacher. Needle, you're going to get a shock. 180 volts. Whether the learner likes it or not, we must go on until he's learned all the words here. I refuse to take the responsibility of getting hurt in there. I'm not, I mean, he's under hollering. It's absolutely essential that you continue, teacher. There's too many left here. And I mean, geez, he, go, he gets wrong here. There's too many of them left. I mean, who's going to take the responsibility if anything happens to that gentleman? I'm responsible for anything that happens here. Continue, please. Now, we're up to 300 volts. All right, next one's slow. Wrong. Answer is neck. 300 volts. Continue. The next word is green, please. Green, grass, hat, ink, apple. If the learner doesn't answer in a reasonable time, about four or five seconds, consider the answer wrong and follow the same procedures you have been doing for wrong answers. Say wrong, tell them the number of volts, give them the punishment, read them the correct answer. Oh, man. Continue, please. Something's happened to that man there. National gold, dollar, necklace, moon, paint. Something's happened to that man in there. You better check in on him, sir. He won't answer me or nothing. Please uh, continue. Go on, please. You accept all the responsibility? The responsibility is mine. Correct. Please go on. The teacher has to increase the voltage to the maximum amount of 450 volts. Will he do it? Great. Woman, soldier, dog, horse. Answer is woman, 450 volts. That's it. Now continue using the last switch on the board, please. The 450 switch for each wrong answer. Continue, please. I'm not getting no answer. Please continue. The next word is white. Don't you think you should look in on him, please? Not once we've started the experiment. But what if something's happened to him and had an attack or something there? The experiment requires that we continue. Go on, please. Don't, it, don't the man's health mean anything? Whether the learner likes it or not, we but must... But he might be dead in there. I mean, some people can't take this shock, sir. Please I mean, continue. I don't tend to be rude, but I mean, I think you should look in on him. Whether I mean, the... all you got to do is look at the door. But I don't get no answer, no noise. Something I think has happened to the gentleman in there, sir. We must continue. Go on, please. You're going to keep giving what? 450 volts every shot now? That's correct. Continue. The next word is white. Then, the teacher put aside his better judgment and gave the learner the maximum shock. Even though he wasn't even responding anymore. When asked at the end of the experiment why he continued... Hi. Uh, excuse me, teacher. We'll have to discontinue the experiment. I'd like to uh, ask you a few questions, if I may. How do you feel, though? 
I feel all right, but I don't like what's happened. That I fall in there. He's been howling, and we had to keep giving him shots. I didn't like that one bit. I mean, he's, he wanted to get out, and he just kept going, kept throwing 450 volts. I didn't like that. He wouldn't even look at on that gentleman. Well, who was actually pushing the switch? I was. But he kept insisting. I told him no, but he said he got to keep going. I told him it's time we stopped when we got up to uh, 195, 210 volts. Well, why didn't you just stop? He wouldn't let me. I wanted to stop. 65% of the participants, that's two-thirds of the men playing the teacher, administered an electric shock at the maximum level of 450 volts. All participants continued to 300 volts. Does this surprise you? Would you have done the same? Would you have done any different? I will avoid getting preachy, but this happens all the time. I mean, think about work. When was the last time your boss asked you to do something you were uncomfortable with and you did it anyway? We do what we're told, whether we like it or not. Here's what Stanley Milgram has to say about all this. The results, as I observe them in the laboratory, are disturbing. They raise the possibility that human nature cannot be counted on to insulate men from brutality and inhumane treatment at the direction of malevolent authority. A substantial proportion of people do what they are told to do, irrespective of the content of the act and without limitations of conscience, so long as they perceive that the command comes from a legitimate authority. If in this study, an anonymous experimenter could successfully command adults to subdue a 50-year-old man and force on him painful electric shocks against his protests, one can only wonder what government, with its vastly greater authority and prestige, can command of its subjects. next time on Pretend. So who's calling all these fast food restaurants and making these prank calls? Was it a group of random kids who got their jollies off making fast food employees suffer? Actually, police were able to narrow it down to one guy. Here's the detective who was able to track down the suspect. Here's what he had to say when he looked the suspect in the eye for the first time. I remember asking the first question, I introduced myself, and I said to him, why would a sergeant from Massachusetts be coming down here to talk to you? First question, I still remember, plain as yesterday. And he said, oh, I have no idea, or something to that effect. And um, I asked him if he ever owned a calling card. And at that point, he started to shake and he was sweaty, he just started to sweat. And he had ties. He unclipped his tie. That's next time on Pretend. What a crazy story, right? I couldn't believe it when I first heard it. You know, you may not be a fast food employee, but the bottom line is you got to know your rights. Employers might suspect you of theft and may conduct a pat-down, but they can never, ever, in any way, conduct a strip search. They could ask you to empty out your pockets. 
to take off your coat, to go through a metal detector, but never ever to remove your clothing. Part two of this series is literally gonna make you want to scream at the radio. Also, you may notice that I sound a little different. Well, that's because I'm not recording in my usual space. I'm actually in a hotel room because for the last five days, I've been recording a new investigative podcast, not for pretend, a brand new podcast. And I want to tell you all about it, but I'm telling my Patreon supporters first. So to learn more about it, go to pretendradio.org and click the donate button. It's super exciting and I can't wait to tell you more. Also, while you're on Patreon, I just posted a bonus episode. Donna Summers, the manager from this episode, she filed a lawsuit against McDonald's and won. Hear how that happened. The bonus episode is up on Patreon right now. This weekend, if you're anywhere near Charleston, South Carolina, come hang out with us because it's going to be the second annual Southern True Crime Podcast Meetup. It's going to be me, Stephen Pacheco with Trace Evidence, Melissa with Moms and Murder, and so many more podcasts. It's going to be a blast. And if you book soon, after the meetup, a bunch of podcasters are going to go do a ghost tour with Mike Brown from the Pleasing Terror podcast. It's going to be so much fun. Go to oldcharlestontours.com to book your tickets. It's going to be a blast. Also, I'm going to play you a trailer for a show that's coming out really soon on October 25th. It's called Fool Me Twice. And if you like pretend, I have a feeling you're going to like this one. So check it out. Little Red Riding Hood was told by her mother to bring a basket of food to her sick grandmother. Her mother warns her that the woods are dangerous and tells her to make sure she stays on the path she knows. Along the way, Little Red comes across a wolf. And since she's never seen a wolf before, she doesn't know to be careful. Fool Me Twice follows the story of my mother, Jules Hannaford, in her attempts to find love online. I'm Zara Hannaford, and in this series, I'm trying to understand romance scams, why people fall for them, and how they work. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. My mother was successful and happy in her life and her job, but was still lonely. After being single for more than a decade, she turned to online dating as a last resort. At first, it seemed she was consistently meeting men who were not good enough. One after the other, they seemed to only want her for her money, and she was beginning to lose hope. Finally, she met a man who had his life together. Truman was a project manager at a construction firm and seemed as excited as Jules was about the possibility of building a life with someone special. She traveled across the world to meet him. And as soon as she landed, the fairy tale began to unravel. All was not as it seemed. Everything inside me was screaming I had to get out now. But I knew that if I woke him up, it would be all over. Strangely, it was in the dark that I was able to see it all clearly. 
This man had been manipulating me, conning me out of my money, and I'd fallen for a hook, line, and sinker. This podcast is an exploration of the ugly side of online dating. A romance scam is a concerted effort by an individual to engage in a relationship that develops eventually to be able to generate a financial return. I was feeling so sick with fear that I knew I had to leave, run, and try and save what I could of my money and my dignity. My mother realized that she was far from alone in this. There were other scam victims all over the world who had stories that were strangely similar to hers. There was all different reasons why he needed all these fees. Anyway, I ended up paying up to $40,000. And my daughter was like, Mom, you have to confront him. It, just block him, change your number. And I'm like, no, I can't. As I got deeper into investigating this strange world of deception and false identities, I began to learn new words to describe what was going on. The term catfishing refers to the act of using social media and internet and other means of non-one-to-one -one communication in order to create an alternate persona for primary or secondary gain. Brian Denny is a retired military officer whose name and image have been used hundreds of times in fake profiles. So it was chilling. The first time I did a search on Facebook of just my name and saw double digits of accounts with my pictures. And incredibly, Jules was able to find and interview a real scammer from Ghana she asks him whether he ever develops feelings for his victims. Sometimes you have feelings, sometimes business. Twice, a true crime podcast will be released on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Ozcast Network on the 25th of October. Subscribe now so that you don't miss an episode. Creative Back.